various uh, tourist boards have discovered that one way to advertise their attractions is to describe them as experiences. <laughs> so you can have the Tower of London experience if you want, or if you're into this sort of thing, you can have the Harry Potter experience. Um, or if you want something a wee bit more highbrow, a few years ago, the BBC Radio 4 advertised the Beethoven experience. <laughs> but uh, maybe it would be good for us tonight to put ourselves in the shoes of a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman uh, in those days which were described in the reading we had from the book of Exodus uh, and, and, and ask ourselves, what would you make of the Egypt experience? Or what does our friend we're thinking about think of the Egypt experience because it was a pretty grim time Uh, there's no question about that Uh, the children of Israel are in hard bondage they are slave laborers it's it's an ironic thing it seems to me that uh, people these days will pay good money to go and visit the the pyramids and the temples uh, in Egypt And at the same time, pulling down statues in this country or whatever because um, they uh, refer to the proceeds of slave labour and yet happily go to Egypt uh, and marvel at these impressive structures which also were built on the backs of slave labour. And uh, if they were to be consistent and... uh, I don't think consistency is (laughs) very much the way in which such folk think, but if they were consistent, they should start pulling down the pyramids, shouldn't they? Uh, But there we go. (laughs) Because it was a hard time. Uh, uh, And the children of Israel are caught up in this. Uh, uh, And we read the story uh, how, uh, despite... um, the, the hardships that were put upon, nevertheless, they still flourished, uh, which was a cause of great concern to Pharaoh. And so he put in place this plan whereby he was actually ultimately going to bring the problem of the Israelites to an end by making sure all the male children would be put to death. So it's not just that they were ill-treated as slaves uh, and forced to work um, under bitter bondage. But also the end result of this process would uh, result in genocide because if there are no male children left, then ultimately that will be the end of the nation. So these were the days in which our friend lived. Uh, And what does he make of the Egypt experience? Uh, It wouldn't be a great deal to his liking, would it? But he has has a a, a problem here that he needs to wrestle with in his mind because he he might, well, he knows his history, he knows the history of his people uh, and he knows full well, uh, if he asks himself the question, what are we doing here? He knows full well they're there by the direct providence of God. Because you know this story so well. Jacob and his family are starving uh, back in Canaan. uh, uh, And by a a wonderful series of God's acts, 
mysterious acts at the time, but we have the whole story and we can see how it was God's plan and purpose that Jacob and his sons should end up in Egypt. Uh, And that was for their provision. And that is why they're there. They are there by the kind providence of God. And our Hebrew friend is saying to himself, but look what it's led to. It's led to potential eradication of us as a people. Uh, And so he's faced with what has often been described as the mystery of providence. Why has God allowed this to happen when they're in Egypt plainly by God's direct purpose? Why has he allowed this to happen to them? Why has it come to this? Bander asked the question, you would. And then on the other hand, he has to wrestle with this truth because he knows to his people, their father Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, were made the most incredible promises. And you'll be familiar with those, how he said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. You'll possess the land where you are. And through you and your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. These are the promises made repeatedly to the forefathers of this man. And he's faced then with this dilemma. If on the one hand the providence of God has brought about a situation where they're likely to be wiped out altogether, how then can the promises be fulfilled? You understand the quandary. That they seem to conflict with each other, don't they? On the one hand, the providences of God. On the other hand, the promises of God. And, and, uh, and they seem to be at odds with each other. How can both things be true at one and the same time? Uh, and that's what he has to wrestle with in his situation. God's providence, God deliberately and purposefully arranging the circumstances of their lives. God's promises, on the other hand, ensuring assurance and comfort. And and they appear to be conflicting with each other. So how do you square that? (laughs) Uh, And in many ways, it's just the same for us. I mean, our trials and tribulations are are not really worthy to be compared, are they, with the, the situation that the Israelites faced in their day, in the days recorded there. But nevertheless, we pass through times of trial and we are faced with the same perplexity at times. Why has God allowed this to happen to me? Why is the providence of God brought me into this time of difficulty and need and at the same time, in his word, has promised such good things to me. How, how do you hold the two things together? Providence on the one hand with all its mysteries. Promises on the other hand with all their assurances. How do you hold the two things together? Uh, and it creates for us, I think, a, a, le- a level of confusion sometimes to try and just get our heads around it. 
Well, trying to look at this, it just seems to me that we, we are faced with two, two things, two applications, if you like, from this passage. Normally, um, when I preach, I'll, I'll take a verse, you know, that's usually what I do, or maybe two or three verses, but I'm just drawing some general applications from the whole of that passage that we read from Exodus 1 and 2. Um, a, a general application and an attempt to gain a perspective upon, on this uh, uh, dilemma. Providence, promises. How do they fit together when one seems to militate against the other? And the first thing I, I think we need to come to terms with is, is, is to avoid the temptation that, that uh, we may easily fall into where we measure God's attitude towards us, what he's allowing to happen to us. We allow that to help us in our understanding uh, of what God is like to us. And it's a very natural thing, is that. We are but flesh and blood, uh, and we are humans, and we are affected by events, aren't we? There's no question about that. And, and, and events, well, there's no problem when things go well, from our understanding of things, but what about things going wrong, apparently, for us? I mean, the Lord gives, we can take that. <laughs> we can live with that. The Lord gives, but the Lord takes away. That's, a, a, that's another story, isn't it? That's another kettle of fish. When the Lord sees fit to take away something that we think we need or would like or is our right, and the Lord in his providence uh, removes it from us which is not an uncommon experience, is it? Uh, and when that happens, then we start to ask the perennial question, why has God allowed this to happen to me? And if we're not careful, we're going to form in, fall into a mindset which is looking at God and saying, God, you're being unkind to me. Um, God, wh wh why are you doing this to me? Why am I passing through this time of, of, of trial and trouble? Is it, is it because you've forgotten to love me? Is it because you no longer care for me? It's, it's something, if we're honest enough, I guess we, we are prone to think in that sort of way. And we're measuring God by the providences, by what is happening to us. And, and, and when that happens, you know what's happening to us when we think, start to think like that. We are, we are contravening one of the basic truths of the scripture that we are starting to walk by sight instead of by faith. In other words, we're looking at things as they appear to us. Uh, and, and the element of just trusting God, that, that gets pushed to one side. Now, there are times when we do need to be honest with ourselves uh, and 
And I think this is one attitude of mind that if we're not careful, we very readily do fall into. And we're judging things, particularly God's attitude towards us, by the appearances of things that are happening to us. Uh, And we're making our feelings, our reactions to what's happening to be our guide as a measure of what God is like to us. And there is also, isn't there, again, an element of honesty, isn't there? So there is, there is a certain degree of self-will that's involved here because when the circumstances that God has seen fit to lead us into, when the providences of God's ordering of our lives are not to our liking, uh, and sometimes they are not, then we start to kick back, don't we? We start to feel resentful towards God. We, we may even start to be angry with him. Uh, and then, again, being painfully honest with ourselves, <laughs> um, there is the temptation, isn't there, to, to worldliness. Our, our attitude to things is governed by by the, the affairs of the world and how they impinge upon us. Uh, uh, and that, that becomes so large in our thinking. Uh, and, uh, and when the circumstances, when the providences, when the things that God orders in our lives lead to a measure of deprivation which is happening to a great many of our friends as we're remembering in prayer, they are losing things, losing their homes. They're losing their loved ones. Many of them are losing their lives. Is this outside the providence of God? Is this, is this, is this uh, the evil one having the last word? They're losing things. Uh, and and we, 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 we don't like losing things. <laughs> we, we hang on tight, don't we, to the things of this world. We, we, we are very prone to become earthbound uh, and to lose something that is dear to us. Um, we struggle with that, don't we? In all honesty, we struggle with that. Uh, and I think that's particularly a problem with us in our Western world because... Um, the, the, you know, the trials and tribulations that we pass through are relatively minor, aren't they? Relatively speaking, compared with many of our brothers and sisters. And, and one of our Puritan forefathers was very wise and he said that adversity has killed its thousands, but prosperity has killed its tens of thousands. And I'm not certain we cope too well with prosperity, with relative comfort. Because when the providence of God start to chip away at that prosperity and, and comfort, that's when, that's when we get a distorted view of God and God's attitude towards us. That, that's what happens when we measure God by the providences. We need, we need another perspective. So what we need to do 
is to measure God not by the providences, but by the promises. Because there are some wonderful contrasts to be made between the providences. They're both in the hand of God, of course. I'm not in any sense wanting to disparage God's will and purpose and plans for our lives. Not at all. Far from it. But, but, but it needs to be set aside what God allows to happen to us, even though it may not be to our liking. It needs to be set aside the great many exceeding precious promises that this book contains. Uh, and, and they are the things that should be in the forefront of our minds. We're trying to struggle and wrestle with, 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 with difficult circumstances. It should be the promises that should grip us first of all. And, and, and we should be saying to ourselves, well, God in his own wisdom has allowed this to happen to me but his promises reassure me and that's how I'm going to handle it. That's how I'm going to cope with it because I'm going to rest, I'm going to stand on the promises of God. And there are some wonderful contrasts, if you like, in that sense because we may not understand the promises. In fact, very often we don't. We may never in this life ever know why God allowed so-and-so to happen to us. You're going to wait till you get to glory before you discover that. That's often the case, isn't it? You may never understand the providences, but the promises are clear and plain and unmistakable. There's no mystery about the promises, is there? <laughs> Only in the sense that he's chooses to make such wonderful promises to unworthy sinners like us. That is a mystery. But the actual promises themselves, which this book contains in their hundreds, well, even a child can grasp them. What, what is there to mistake in I will never leave you nor forsake you? What is there to misunderstand when he says I will be with you even to the end of the age? And so I could go on like this. There used to be a, a little box that you could buy. I don't know if you see them these days. A little box a pro called a promise box. Uh, and uh, there's a little coils of paper. Hundreds of the things in this box and a little pair of tweezers and every day you're supposed to pull one out and you get a promise of God. I'm not sure that is actually the best way to handle the scriptures but it has its value, doesn't it? It's a reminder there are hundreds of these promises. And they are completely clear and understandable. It would not be a surprise at all if we sometimes didn't understand what God was doing in his providence, would it? I mean, after all, his ways are about ways as high as the heavens are above the earth. Who knows the mind of God? Who is ever going to be able to comprehend what God is doing with us in its fullness, in its entirety, until we get to glory and then we've got all eternity to puzzle it out, if you like, and explore it. By contrast, the promises are clear. And that is their great value. So, you're passing through a hard time. Um, one way or another, what, 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 what is the remedy for for 
keeping yourself from unnecessary bitterness and resentment about what God is allowing to happen to you. Just this, take God at his word. Literally. Take God at his word. All these promises. Take them to your heart. Cling on to them. Providence is the second thing. The second contrast, if you like. Providence will lead to changes. It's inevitable, isn't it? That's one of the things we find hard to cope with. Why can't things go back to the way they were? Why can't? Why do things have to change? Well, why is our life now quite different in many ways to what it was two years ago? Why can't we just go back to that? Uh, and whether we can ever go back to that is questionable, but whatever happens is going to take a long time to go back to that. Um, and so change and we don't cope too well with change do we I think the older we get the less ready we are to cope with changes but by contrast the promises of God never change never change God's word stands forever Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away my words will never pass away they never change. And, and that's the wonderful assurance you get from them because if you, if you clasp a promise to yourself in your time of need, you know that will always stand because the providence that much leads you into calmer waters in God's kindness or it may lead you into more troubled waters. Change, change, change. But the promise, I will never leave you when you pass through the water and so on. You know them all. That doesn't change. That's wonderful, isn't it? And providences, very often in their nature, might lead us into dark days. But that's why we struggle with it. <laughs> if God's dealings in our lives always led us into times of joy and delight and happiness, we'd have no problem with it, would we? But it's because very often it's not like that, is it? Uh, and that's why we struggle so much with it. it. May lead us into dark, troubled times, but the promises, by contrast, are always full of joy, always full of assurance, always full of wonderful anticipation of what God is to us. Always. So, measure God not by the providences, which we're not likely to get to any satisfactory conclusion if we try to do that, but measure God by his promises, which stand forever and are always full of truth and blessing and encouragement. Let's go back to our Israelite man or woman in these troubled times in Egypt, trying to come to terms with the Egypt experience. Why are we here? What does God mean by it? And what's the outcome going to be? And how can the great promises made God made to our forefathers that through this nation, this little nation, the whole of the earth is going to be blessed? Well, how can that happen? He's struggling with it. Because the promise, the providence seems to militate against it. 
but the promise is God's word and that must stand forever. How is he going to come to terms with it? How is he going to resolve the conflict, the apparent paradox? Well, there is an answer. Uh, and it's in our passage too. Because by the river's edge, there's a little wicker ark hidden in the bulrushes uh, and there is a child whimpering away. That's the answer. That is God's provision. That is God saying to our friend, look, you may not understand why it is I, I allow this to happen to you. Uh, brought about a situation where you're groaning under this hardship and, and destroying, if Pharaoh has his way, all, all your baby boys. And there's the answer. This little child, Moses. Uh, and and in him, as our friend is going to discover, there is a deliverer and a leader uh, and he's going to lead them from the Egypt experience into the Canaan experience and the land promised to them. Uh, and Moses there in the ark, it's, it's just a wonderful Old Testament visual aid, isn't it? It's a wonderful illustration of an even greater gospel truth because unto us, unto us a son is born. And unto us a child is given. And he, like Moses, but much greater than Moses, will be the deliverer of his people and the leader of his people through all the dark and mysterious providences to the glorious uplands of the blessings of salvation and forgiveness of sins, and, uh, and reconciliation with Almighty God, and beyond all that, heaven, glory to come. And so, that, that's where we gain our comfort. That's where, we, that's where we, we're trying to make sense of mysteries. We just laid on this air is the Saviour, God's promise, God's ultimate promise. God who always keeps his promises. And he has sent to us a saviour, a deliverer, a leader who will lead us one day to glory. And, and the, the sum and substance of this is, of course, faith. Believe. Believe God. Faith. I, I love Love the story of Martha, confronted there. By, she must have, and Mary too. Why has God let this happen? And, and that's, that's, she, she, she um, lays that charge, doesn't she? She's a bit impertinent, really. Uh, when Jesus finally comes after a delay, and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. She's at a loss to understand it. She's at a loss to explain it. Why did Jesus let Lazarus die? But now she stood in front of the tomb and, and Jesus, Jesus says to her, and I just love these words, and I think the words are words that we're going to hear in glory. 
Didn't I tell you? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. If you believed. And, and, and she turns and looks. And there's no blaze of light across the sky. We might equate that with glory. <laughs> there's no host of angels singing praises to Almighty God. Glory to God in the heavens. None of that. Just the figure of Jesus stood there with tears streaming down his face and she sees the glory of God. Well, that's where it is to be seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The ultimate promise that God kept in the fullness of time just as he said he would which is foreshadowed in all the events recorded in the Old Testament, and not least in Moses and the Israelites, the coming of the Saviour and glory that awaits all those who put their trust in him. So that's where we resolve the dilemma. Providences, God's dealings, mysterious very often, hard sometimes, promises full of truth and glory and blessing. And standing at the very apex of these two different aspects of the way God deals with us stands the person of Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world. And the exhortation is just this. Nothing new for you in this. Believe on him. Trust him. Believe the promise And you'll come through. Ultimately, you'll come through. But while, you know, we wrestle sometimes under what happens to us, these truths will always stand. He is a mighty saviour, mighty to save, mighty to keep, and glory awaits us. Amen.